Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, again, good morning on this last Sunday in October, if you can believe that. Um, before I begin, I know many of you are aware of uh, the tragedy in Pittsburgh at a, at a um, synagogue where a number of people were shot and killed, and uh, they're worshiping God. And uh, it's, it's tragic and disheartening, and I'd like to just, before we do anything else, just pray for them. Gracious God, we lift up to you those who are struggling and suffering this morning because of the hatred of one person. And perhaps not one person, but many who he alone lived it out yesterday. We pray that you will heal hearts for those who are injured, that you will heal bodies for those who have suffered loss. Father, it's hard for us to imagine we know your heart breaks for us anytime one of us is hurt. We're all loved by you. And I know your heart goes out and, and you surround those who have lost. And our hearts go out as well, Father. We pray for all of those involved, for that synagogue, for all the people. We pray your love and grace upon them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when my younger brother Paul and I were kids, like a lot of kids back in those days, <laughs> I, I listen to you, I hear you over there <laughs> laughing at me. We watched westerns on television. Now, some of you don't know what that is, I understand, because there hasn't been a western on television really in a long time. But, but a while back, there used to be shows about American frontier in the 1870s and we called those westerns and and they were a lot of fun and a lot of times the hero would get somehow tied up and and they'd work at it and work at it and finally release themselves and save the day I went back and found one of my heroes Hoss Cartwright how many of you remember Hoss there you go we got enough by the way Hoss is from Texas DeKalb Texas up in Northeast Texas and um, uh, you know, I, I, I was a kid, I would look at that rope and I would just think, that's not going to hold him. <laughs> I mean, how in the world do you think that's going to that's gonna work? And so, a couple of times, my brother Paul and I tried tying each other up. One of us typically was sitting in a chair and, and trying to do kind of like the Westerns, wrapping the rope around and around and, and finally tying some kind of a knot. But I, I just tell you, no matter how hard we tried, we, we just couldn't seem to get it right because we always got out of it. I mean, it was always, it was always easy. And that's probably more about our tying and knot making skills than anything else. But in real life, people who, who know what they're doing can tie us up so that we can't release ourselves no matter how hard we try. We need someone to release us, to free us from what binds us. And in much the same way, sin can bind us. And no matter how hard we try, we can't seem to release ourselves. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, everyone, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. But let's, let's back it up even further and make sure we're clear about 
what sin is and why it, it's so destructive to each one of us. The Bible tells us that God created each one of us in his own image to have a personal relationship with each one of us. And, and he declared his creation very good. But it wasn't long before those first two individuals, Adam and Eve, were tempted by the serpent, disobeyed God's command by eating the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and their disobedience was the first act of human sin. But it wasn't simply disobeying God. At a much deeper level, it showed their failure to trust God. You know, God, I, I, I know you tell me to live this way, to do these things, and I, and I do believe you're God. But I'm not convinced you really understand what I'm going through. I'm not convinced you really have the whole picture here, that you really know what's best for me. And so I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to try it my way. Now, I'm not saying we consciously think that. But that's what it means to disobey God. I, the prophet Isaiah said, Lord, we show our trust in you by obeying your laws. And we call this self-seeking nature, this, this nature that fails to trust God. We call it sin, but we say sin with a capital S, okay? And each time then we act out of that nature, this lack of trust, we call those actions sins, a sin, with a lowercase s. And, and most folks get hung up on the, these lowercase s sins, like that's the whole problem. And so they convince themselves that if they can try harder, they can be good enough, or, or at least more good than bad, God ought to be pleased. But the bigger problem, if we're honest, isn't actually the sins. It's the sin with a capital S. It's our nature that inherently misses the mark all too often, thinking what we think is best. Over and over again, the, the, the truth is affirmed in, in Judges. They say all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes instead of trusting God. And when Judges says all the people, that's affirmed throughout the Bible that Adam and Eve's initial sin has infected every single one of us, not just every single one of us, every single person on the planet. The Bible says in Romans 3, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And this sin breaks our relationship with God, who is the source of life, the source of eternity. And when we cut ourselves off from our source, from our lifeline, we are ultimately doomed. See, sin is, is ultimately about damaging, about breaking our relationship with God. Think about it maybe like this. If I tell a lie to my wife, Susan, well, that, that's a sin. And should she find out, which she always seems to do, um, it, it's not just that I didn't tell the truth, which is bad enough and carries its own consequences, but it's the, the bigger issue that there's something in my nature that she can't trust. She doesn't know if or when I am telling the truth anymore. It creates a rift, a break in our relationship that I simply can't fix myself. It won't be fixed until she's ready. I can do good things. I can buy her a gift. But if I'm doing them for the wrong reasons or trying to appease her or fool her, 
It doesn't help. In fact, it often only makes it worse. No amount of good can make up or fix a break of trust in a relationship. The lies, the, the sins, reflect this deeper problem of sin with a big S. The desire to deceive and put myself first and have it my way, no matter how it affects her. And while our sins have earthly consequences, ultimately, they're all aimed back at God and, and a lack of trust in Him. When I hurt another person or, or, or myself, I am hurting someone that God loves, that God created, that God cares about. And I'm betraying God's trust to live His way. So out of love, God created us for a, a, a lasting, deep relationship with Him. But, but sin in us leads us to seek after what we want rather than trusting God that, that He, in fact, knows what's best for us. Jesus warned that even our thoughts can be sins long before we ever act on them. My sin nature creates a rift, a break in my relationship with God because I've said through my thoughts, through my actions, through my sins, that I... I God, I really don't trust you. Again, I may never say those words, but they are so true. Our sinful nature is so much a part of the way we live in, in ways that oppose God. The, the Bible clearly shows this. Romans 8, 7, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's that capital S, sin. Now, sin certainly shows itself in, in those times we choose to break God's laws, which have often been called sins of commission, but it also shows itself in those times when we simply fail to do God's will, when we fail to love, when we fail to believe that He knows best and instead we know what's best, and these have been called sins of omission, what I don't do. Sins of commission are, are pretty easy for us to understand, the kind of the thou shalt not. But sins of omission sometimes are, are both harder to see and yet for most of us probably even more prevalent, more a part of our daily lives. Because when I fail to love, when I fail to seek to grow my relationship with God, when I fail to serve those around me and help others know about God, when, when I don't care about the plight of the poor or the fatherless or the homeless or the outcast, I'm committing sins of omission, failing to do God's will, what God wants me, you, all of his creation to do. And folks, the, these are sins just as much as committing adultery or lying or stealing or murdering, and they carry the same consequences as far as our eternity is concerned. We're not trusting God and, and what he knows is best for us and our lives. And that's sin. And if we're beginning to kind of reflect on this and understand sin as something more than just when I do something wrong, then 
we may, may very well start feeling kind of overwhelmed. We may feel, I'm doomed. We may feel, this is impossible. We may feel like, what hope is there for me? And yet there's still more to it. And it relates to God's very nature. That, that God in his, his very being, there is no evil in him. His nature is pure. It's perfect. It's just, holy. It's love. So the reality of, of sin then stands in stark contrast to God's very being and nature. In fact, God cannot and will not tolerate sin. Isaiah 59.2 says, It is your sins that have cut you off from God. So our sin not only breaks our relationship with God, but beyond that, it causes us to stay separated from Him because He cannot condone sin or, or be in its presence. When our sin cuts us off from God, it cuts off His life-giving being. It's not just that we've disappointed God. It's that in breaking the relationship, we have become separated from Him, from His life, and that leads to death, spiritual death first, and then physical and eternal death. For as the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. Guys, what this means is that everything is at stake in our relationship with God. It's not just about doing some things wrong and disappointing Him. These are life and death eternal consequences for being separated from God. And, and any solution to the rift, to the separation and our eternities has to take into account not only, on one hand, the trust issue, but also, on the other hand, God's very own holy nature. And if somehow I think I can fix that myself, I can be better, I can try harder, I can restore it, I can fix my sinful nature... Boy, I've totally misjudged the depths of my sin. I've, I've deceived myself and therefore sinned even more. To put it in different language, we're addicted to sin. And as any addict discovers, the cure to sin can only begin as we recognize that each one of us, we are powerless to fix it ourselves. The Apostle Paul said, I, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I, I do what I hate. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. So our sin nature has addicted us to sin. And that, and that sin separates us from God, keeps us separated. So... We can't fix it ourselves. Our only hope is, is God to help us to not only transform our, our nature in our situation, but also himself to restore the relationship. Just as fixing the relationship with my wife ultimately depends on her choosing to move past my lie, to trust me again. So fixing our relationship with God ultimately depends on him. You and I can't fix it ourselves. To think I can by myself is just more deception that I'm somehow 
I'm somehow like God. I can, I'm on his level and instead of being created by him and being totally dependent on him. I need power beyond myself. We need power beyond ourselves. The power of God, in fact, to correct what's wrong. But the good news is that in spite of all that, God still loves us. And yet, there's still a problem. How could God, out of his great love for human beings, forgive sinners without compromising his holiness? And how could he express his holiness in, in judging sinners without also frustrating his love? This process or act of bringing together God and us, a, a holy, perfect God and unholy, sinful human beings is called atonement. Uh, maybe that's kind of a big word. Maybe it's a word that's not a part of your vocabulary. I, I, someone a long time ago helped me kind of think about it by using the, the, the breaking up the word itself, at-one-ment, atonement, at-one-ment, bringing us back together. The process or act of bringing together and reuniting God in us, a holy, perfect God with unholy, sinful human beings. It's a central doctrine of the Christian faith it revealed so clearly on the cross. John Stott wrote, at the cross, in holy love, God through Christ paid the full penalty of our disobedience himself. He bore the judgment we deserve in order to bring us the forgiveness we do not deserve. On the cross, divine mercy and justice were equally expressed and eternally reconciled. God's holy love was satisfied. Centuries earlier, the prophet Isaiah had predicted what God, what Jesus would go through. In Isaiah 53, now remember, this is like 700 years before the time of Jesus. Isaiah wrote, it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were just a punishment from God, a, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Amen. The Apostle Paul put it this way, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. <laughs> See, the good news is that for the sake of restoring our relationship with God, Jesus released us, taking our place on the cross, dying our death for our sins as our substitute so we wouldn't have to. Peter wrote, he personally, personally carried our sins in his own body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right by his wounds you are healed. Have you noticed he's quoting back from Isaiah? See, God in Christ did for us what we, we would never be able to do for ourselves, presenting himself in our place 
to be our righteousness so that we could, not by our works or efforts, but by His grace, be right with God apart from anything that we do ourselves. It's sort of like imagining that, that God opened our file. Here's Randy's file. And instead of seeing a picture of me with all my sin and all the ugliness and all the things I've done wrong because I put my faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus has come through my file and he's put a picture of himself in there. And when, Jesus, when God looks at it, and yes, I understand God can see through it. This is an analogy. <laughs> but when God looks at it, he sees not me and my sinfulness, but because I put my faith and trust in Jesus, he sees the picture of his son and his righteousness taking my place. Paul said to the Romans, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. In other words, the, the more I know the rules, the more I know how, I'm messing up. Instead, he says, now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Paul tells us here that being made right with God doesn't happen simply because we're here in church we're born into a Christian family. We're, we're pretty good folks. We have generally good intentions. It comes through a conscious decision on our parts. John wrote, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why our, our, our genuine confession is so fundamental to this. And, and guys, here's the thing. Confession is, is not saying magic words. Like, I say the words, and it happens automatically. And then God will say, okay, you said the words, so I forgive you. And trust me, that's happened many, many times in the universal church, where people say, all I got to do is just say the words, and I'm good. God is omniscient, guys. I mean, and that means he, know, he knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. He knows whether we mean that we're sorry or we're saying that we're sorry. He sees through our words to the truth. So, so confession is not just admitting that I did something wrong, but that my sin was, in fact, against God and in defiance of him personally. I am helplessly guilty. In fact, it's, it's interesting that the Greek word for confession literally means say the same. Say the same. So confession is saying the same thing God is saying about me already because he's omniscient. Acknowledging that what God sees and knows about me and my sin is in fact true. It's not about me suddenly Revealing some, hey, God, I did this. And God's going, oh, my gosh. I didn't know that. I'm so glad you told me. I would have never guessed. No. It's, it's God saying, will you tell the truth? Will you say the same of what I already see, what I already know? 
And then with that confession has to come repentance, not just acknowledging my sins like I did something wrong, but being sorry for them and desiring for God to help me turn from them to him, to throw myself on in his mercy. Peter said in his first great sermon in the book of Acts, he said, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. When we do that, God is faithful and just and can be trusted by his grace to forgive us our sins and wipe our slates clean. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it's the, it's the gift of God, not by work so that none of us can boast. We receive this gift by faith, which means to believe God is who he says he is, he does what he says he does, even though I can't prove it. I choose to believe that my sins, no matter what they are, no matter how many they are, no matter how bad they are, are no longer held against me. And in fact, I am forgiven. And the record is wiped clean. It's not a feeling, okay? It's a promise given by the God who created me who loves me, whom I can trust. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He didn't say, for whomsoever, whosoever does what he's told, who believes. God releases us from the sins that bind us and, and then gives us in that same moment the Holy Spirit to come to live in us, to begin transforming us so that as we respond to the Spirit, our inherent desire to sin becomes less and less and we become more and more like Jesus. It begins to change our heart, change our desires. In other words, forgiveness is saying all this stuff that you've done is wiped out, but from this point forward... I still need your help, God, because in about two seconds, I'm going to say or think something, and I'll sin again. So if your spirit doesn't come to live in me and begin to work in me and transform me, though I may genuinely be saved, I still may be doing all this, many of the same things. We have to cooperate. In fact, this is... Uh, let me back up. This is what Paul said. When you believed in Christ... He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. And that's why we believe discipleship is so important because becoming like Jesus doesn't just magically happen through the Spirit's presence in us. It's not magic. And yet that's the way so many people envision it. We have to cooperate with the Spirit using spiritual practices and disciplines like worship, Bible study, prayer, Serving, giving, holy conversations, and more to begin to exercise our spiritual muscles in order to grow more and more like Jesus. Paul wrote to Timothy, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. And like physical training, it's not one and done. It's not, okay, I went out and I exercised today, so I can go tell my doctor I exercised, and therefore, 
My health is good from here on out. I mean, does it work that way? Or the doctor's just going to laugh. He's going to say, You're a... you think going and exercising one time changed everything? Of course not. We have to keep exercising. And we have to keep working on being disciples. It is not a one-and-done deal. And yet when we confess our sins and turn in repentance to God through Jesus Christ, in, in our past we are released and receive forgiveness for our sins and the, and the capital S sin that lives in us. In our present, we are empowered through His Spirit to increasingly overcome sin in our lives and, and experience the fruit of His Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And in our future, we receive the promise of heaven and eternity with Christ. And yet none of this begins without God's work on the cross through Jesus Christ to make forgiveness of my sin, your sin, our sins possible, releasing us to live this life to its fullest and experiencing God's best. Dr. Claude Barlow was a medical missionary in Shaoxing, China, in the early part of the 20th century. During his ministry there, uh, some kind of disease began killing people, and he, he couldn't find a remedy for it. And so in searching for a cure, he, he made lots of notes in his notebook, uh, observations of, of the, the unique aspects of the disease that he had witnessed in hundreds of cases. And then, gathering a small vial of the germs, he sailed for the United States. Just before he arrived, he injected himself with the disease and then hurried to his alma mater, Johns Hopkins University Hospital. And by that time, it had become very sick and now depended on his former professors to find a cure. They were able, thankfully, to save his life and send him back to China with a cure for this dreaded disease. And in the process, thousands of lives were spared. And in the midst of our epidemic called sin, Jesus went to the cross, injected himself with our deadly disease. He who was without sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. He then committed himself to the care of the Father, died, and returned on Easter morning with the cure. Forgiveness. For you and me. Yay, God. You know, someone once wrote, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. A Savior to release us from that which we cannot release ourselves. Free us from what binds us. That holds us. That warps our thinking, our lives, our impact. And if you're still in that place, if you've never committed your life to Christ, or it's become something in the background. Or if you think about it honestly, maybe you treated it almost like magic. 
we all have an opportunity this morning to confess, repent, and turn to Him and let Him work in our lives. Our prayer team is going to be down here. And, and just let me be clear. We have a great prayer team. They're sinners too. I don't say that to, to, to be funny. I say that to say they're just like you and me. But they're there to pray with you and encourage you on this journey. And if you need to do that, I hope you will come down and pray. And receive the life God has always designed and desired for you. If you're a guest with us this morning, as we said earlier, I'll be out there with some friends and we'd love to say hello to you this morning. But would you join me as we close in prayer? Father, we come to you this morning, not of our own merit, not because we're somehow good, not because we've somehow worked it all out. We come because we are infected with sin. We come because even with the best of intentions, we fail at times to trust you. And we often sin in thought, word, and deed. And so, Father, we, we humble ourselves. We confess our sin. And we lay it at the foot of the cross. Whereas you died, you said, Father, forgive them. What we cannot earn, you have offered freely. Help us to surrender our pride and receive the gift of your life, not just for the moment, but for a lifetime. Help us to receive it and help us trust that as your Holy Spirit works and lives in us, we will submit to him. We will seek you with our whole heart. We will spend time with you every day. We won't see you as a part of our lives, but the center of our lives. We'll seek to walk with you hand in hand in every moment of our, of our times until we meet you face to face and we experience your grace forever. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.